Hello everybody on listening to my podcast. It's Ashley Brock here and I'm getting ready to read the last book in Nora Roberts Chesapeake Bay uh, Chesapeake Bay's Saga's book. It's called Chesapeake Blue. But before I do I have I just feel like I have to explain something in case any of my family members listen to these, which I don't know if they do or not. Um like I said, my Grandma wasn't doing so well when I started the first book, and that we were going to lose her in a minute now. We lost her when I was in the middle of reading the second book, and that's why it took so long for me to finish the second book, and um, then I got a lot of drama going on for these last ones, and the family like to pretend like I am not dealing with my grandma's death, or that I don't care, because I didn't go and see her when she was unconscious and not able to hear me, and stuff like that. Well, um, I've seen death before. I used to be a CNA. I worked at a CNA. I watched Complete Strangers. I didn't know that I grew attached to completely die. And I didn't want that to be the last image in my head. So I'm doing something to honor my grandmother, which is read books. The books that she got me into. Dedicated to her reading this whole book series for her. Because I like to picture her looking down at me in heaven and smiling because I'm reading these books and continuing my podcasts with romance novels because she likes to read as well. So here is Nora Roberts' fourth book called Chesapeake Blue, Chapter 1. He was coming home. Maryland's eastern shore was a world of marshes and mud flats. Of wide fields with row crops straight as soldiers. It was flat land rivers with sharp shoulders and secret tidal creeks where the heron fed. It was blue crab in the bay and the watermen who harvested him. No matter where he lived in the first miserable decade of his life or in the past few years as he approached the end of his third decade, only the shore had ever meant home. There were countless aspects, countless memories of that home, and every one was as bright and brilliant in his mind as the sun that sparkled off the water of the Chesapeake. As he drove across the bridge, his artist's eye wanted to capture that moment, the rich blue water and the boats that skimmed its surface, the quick white waves and the swoop of greedy gulls, the way the land skimmed in edge, its edge and spilled back with its browns and greens, all the thickening leaves of the gum and oak trees, with those flashes of color that were flowers basking in the warmth of spring. He wanted to remember this moment just as he remembered the first time he crossed the bay to the eastern shore, a surely frightened boy beside a man who'd promised him a life. He sat in the passenger seat of the car with a man he hardly knew at the wheel. He had the clothes on his back and a few meager possessions in a paper sack. His stomach had been tight with nerves, but he fixed what he thought was a bored look on his face and had stared out the window. If he was with the, the old guy, he wasn't with her. That was a good deal, as he could get. Besides, the old guy was pretty cool. He didn't stink of booze or the mints some of the assholes Gloria brought up to the dump they were living in used to cover it up. And the couple of times they'd been together, the old guy Ray had brought him a burger or pizza, and he talked to him. Adults, in his experience, didn't talk to kids at them, at them around them, over them, but not to them. Ray did listen to when he asked straight out if he, just a kid, wanted to live with him. He hadn't felt that strangling fear or hot panic. He felt like maybe, just maybe, he was catching a break away from her. That was the best part. The longer they drove, the farther away from her. If things got sticky, he could run. The guy was really old. 
big. He was sure as shit big, but old. All that white hair and that wide, wrinkled face. Took quick, sidelong glances at him, beginning to draw the face in his mind. His eyes were really blue, and that was kind of weird, because so were his own. He had a big voice, too, but when he talked, it wasn't like yelling. It was kind of calm, even a little tired, maybe. Sure looked tired now. Almost home, Ray said as they approached the bridge. Hungry? I don't know. Yeah, I guess. My experienced boys are always hungry. Raised three bottomless pits. There was cheer in the big voice, but it was forced. The child might have been barely ten, but he knew the tone of falsehood. Far enough away now, he talked. He thought if he had to run, so he put the cards on the table to see what the fuck was up. How come you taking me to your place? Because you need a place. Get real. People don't do shit like that. Some do. Stella and I, my wife, we did shit like that. You tell her you're bringing me home? Ray smiled, but there was a sadness in it. In, a, in my way. She died some time back. You'd like, you'd have liked her. And she'd taken one look at you and rolled up her sleeves. He didn't know what to say, brother. What am I supposed to do when we get there? Where are we going? Live? Ray don't. Be a boy, go to school, get in trouble. I'll teach to sail. On a boat? <laughs> now Ray laughed, a big booming sound that filled the car. And for reason the boy couldn't understand, untied the nerves in his belly. Yeah, on a boat. Got a brainless puppy. I always get the brainless ones. I'm trying to housebreak. You can help me with that. You're going to have chores. We'll figure that out. We'll lay down the rules and you'll follow them. Don't think because I'm an old man, I'm a pushover. He gave her money. Ray glanced away from the road briefly and looked into the eyes, same color as his own. That's right. That's what she understands from what I can see. She never understood you, did she, boy? Something was gathering inside him. Stormy didn't recognize us. If you get pissed off at me or tired of having me around or just change your mind, you'll send me back. I won't go back. <laughs> they were over the bridge now, and Ray pulled the card as the shoulder of the rope, shifted his bulk in the seat so they were face to face. I get pissed off at you. And at my age, I'm bound to get tired from time to time. But I'm making you a promise here and now. I give you my word. I won't send you back. If she, if she I won't let her take you back. Ray said, anticipating him. No matter what I have to do, you're mine now. You're my family now. And you'll stay with me as long as that's what you want. A Quinn makes a promise. He hadn't held out a hand. It keeps it. Says, look at the offered hand. His arms rang damp. I don't like being touched. Ray, okay. But you're stiff. Still got my word on it. He pulled back on the road again. Gave the boy one last glance. Almost home, he said again. Within minutes, within months, Ray Quinn had died. But he kept his word. He kept it through the three men he made his sons. Those men had given the scrawny, suspicious, and scared young boy a life. They had given him a home and made him a man. Cameron, the edgy, quick-tempered gypsy. Ethan, the patient, steady waterman. Philip, the elegant, sharp-minded executive. They had stood for him, fought for him. They had saved him. His brothers. The glittered light of the late afternoon sun sheared the marsh grass, the mid-flaps, mid the flat fields of row crops. With the windows down, he caught the scent of water as he bypassed the little town of St. Christopher. He considered swinging into town, heading first to the old brick boatyard, boats by Quinn, still custom-made wood, still custom-made wooden boats, and in the 18 years since the Enterprise had started, on a dream, on a goal, on a sweat. It had earned its reputation for quality and craftsmanship. They were probably there, even now. Cam cursing as he finished up some fancy work in a cabin. Ethan quietly lapping boards. Philip up at the office, come drain up some snazzy ad campaign. He could go buy Crawford's, pick up a six-pack. Maybe they have a cold one. 
or more likely Cam would toss him a hammer and tell him to get his ass back to work. He enjoyed that, but it wasn't what he was drawing him home, drawing him now. It wasn't what was pulling him down the narrow country road where the marsh still crept out of the shadows and the trees were there. Gnawed trunks, sprayed leaves, glass glossy with May. Of all the places he'd seen, the great dooms and spires of Florence, the florid beauty of Paris, the stunning green hills of Ireland, nothing ever caught at his throat, filled up his heart, like the old white house with its soft and faded blue trim that was set on a bumpy lawn that slid back into quiet water. Pulled into the drive by an old white vetter that had been Ray and Stella Quinn's. The car looked as pristine as the day it had rolled off the showroom floor. Cam's doing, he thought. Cam would say it was a matter of showing proper respect for an exceptional machine. But it was all about Ray and Stella, all about family, all about love. The lilac in the front yard was smothered with blooms. That was a matter of love, too, he reflected. He'd given Anna the little bush for Mother's Day when he was twelve. She cried, he remembered. Big, beautiful, brown eyes flooded with tears, laughing and swiping at him the whole time he and Cam planted it for her. She was Cam's wife, and so that made Anna his sister. But inside, he thought now, where it counted, she was his mother. The Quins knew all about what was inside, got out of the car into the loving stillness. He was no longer a scrawny boy with oversized feet and a suspicious eye. He'd grown into those feet. He was six one with a wiry, wiry build, one that could go gawky if he had neglected it. His hair had darkened and was more bronze-brown than the sandy mop of his youth. He tended to neglect that as well, and running a hand through it now when Cesar called his intentions to have it trimmed before leaving Rome. The guys were going to rag on him about the little ponytail, which meant he'd have to keep it up for a while out of principle. He shrugged and dipped his hands into the pockets of his warm jeans, began to walk, scanning the surroundings, Anna's flowers, the rockers on the front porch, the woods that haunted the side of the house and where he'd run wild as a boy, the old dock swaying over the water and the white sailing slope moored to it. He stood looking out, his face, hollow-cheeked and tan, turned toward the water. His lips, firm and full, began to curve. The weight he hadn't realized was hanging from his heart began to lift. The sound of a rustle in the woods, he turned. Enough of the wary boy still on the man to make the move swift and defensive. Out of the tree shot a black bullet. Witless! He caught his voice at both the ring of authority and easy humor. The combination had the dogs get into a halt, all flopping ears and lolling tongue and studying the men. Come on, it hasn't been that long. He crouched, shelled out a hand. Remember me? Witless grin, the dopey grin that had named him, instantly flopped down and rolled to expose his belly for room. There you go. That's the way. There'd always been a dog for this house, always a boat at the dock, a rocker on the porch, and a dog in the yard. Yeah, you remember me. As he stroked Witless, he looked over to the far end of the yard where Anna had planted a hygienia over the grave of his own dog. The loyal, much-loved foolish. I'm sad, he murmured. I've been away too long. Caught the sound of an engine, the sassy squeal of tires from a turn, taking just that faster than the low loud. Even as he straightened, the dog leaped up, streaked away toward the front of the house, wanting to savor the moment. Seth followed more slowly. He listened to the car door slam, then the lift to the lift and lift of her voice as she spoke to the dog then she then he just looked at her anna spinelli quinn with the curly mass of dark hair wind blown from the drive her arms full of bags she out of the car his green spread as she tried to wait off the desperate affection from the dog how many times do we have to go over this one simple rule? She demanded. You do not jump on people especially me especially me when I'm wearing a suit. Great suit. It's got a better legs.
Her head whipped up, those deep brown eyes widened and showed him the shock, the pleasure, the welcome all once. Oh my god! He lifted up the contents, he tossed the bags through the open car door and ran. He caught her, lifting her six inches off, six inches off the ground, spun her around before setting her on her feet again, so he didn't let go. Instead, he just buried his face in her. Hi. Uh, Seth? Seth? She clung, ignoring the dog that leaped and yipped and did his best to show his muzzle between them. I can't believe it, you're here. Don't cry. <laughs> Just a little. I have to look at you. She had his face framed in her hands as she's back. So handsome, she thought. So grown up. Look at all this. He murmured and brushed a hand out of his hair. I'm meant to get some of it whacked off. I like it. Tears still trickling. Even as she did. Very bohemian. You look wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. You're the most beautiful woman in the world. Oh, boy. Sniffed cigarette. That's no way to get me to stop all this. She swiped the tears. When did he get here? I thought you were in Rome. I was. I wanted to be here. If you called, we would have met you. I wanted to surprise you. He walked to the car to pull the bags out. Came at the boatyard. Should be here. I'll get those you need to get your things. I'll get them later. Where's Kevin and Jake? She started up the walk with him. I said her watch her. She thought about her sons. What day is this? My mind's still spinning. Thursday. Ah, Kevin has rehearsals, school play, and Jake's got softball practice. Kevin's got his driver's license. God help us. And then scooping up his brother on his way home. She unlocked the front door. They should be along in an hour. Then peace will no longer lie across the land. <laughs> it was the same, Seth thought. It didn't matter what color the walls were painted or the old sofa had been replaced. If a new lamp stood on the top on the table, it was the same because it felt the same. The dog sneaked around his legs and made a beeline for the kitchen. I want you to sit down. She nodded to the kitchen table under which Witless was sprawled, happily gnawing on a hunk of rope. And tell me everything. You want some wine? Sure. I have to help you put this stuff away. When her eyebrows shot up, he paused with gallon. What? I was just remembering the way everyone, including you, disappeared whenever it was time to put groceries away. Because you always said we put things in the wrong place. You always did, on purpose, so I'd kick you out of the kitchen. You copped to that, huh? I copped to everything when it comes to my guys. Nothing gets me, pal. Gets by me, pal. Did something happen in Rome? No. He continued to unpack the bags. He knew where everything went. Where everything had always gone in Anna's kitchen. I'm not in trouble, Anna. But you are troubled, she thought, and let it go for now. I'm going to open a nice Italian white. We'll have a glass and you can tell me all the wonderful things you've been doing. Seems like years since we've talked face to face. Shut the refrigerator and turned to her. I'm sorry I didn't get home for Christmas. Honey, we understand. You had a show in January. We're also proud of you, Seth. Cam must have bought a hundred copies of the issue of the Sim Smithsonian, Smithsonian Sin magazine when they did the article on you. Young American artists who seduced Europe. <laughs> Shrugged her shoulders. Such an innate congestor. She can so sit. So sit, she ordered. I'll sit, but I'd rather you caught me up. How the hell is everyone? What's, what are they doing? You first. All right. She finished opening the bottle, got out two glasses. I'm doing more administrative work these days than casework. Social work involves a lot of paperwork, but it's not as satisfying. Between that and having two teenagers in the house, there's no time to be bored. The boat business is thriving. She sat, paused, sat. His glass. Aubrey's working there. No kidding. The thought of her, the girl who was more sister to him than any blood kid made him fall. How's she doing? 
terrific. She's beautiful, smart, stubborn, and according to Cam, a genius with wood. I think Grace was a little disappointed when Aubrey didn't want to pursue dancing, but it's hard to argue when you see your child so happy. And Grace and Ethan's Emily followed in her mother's toe shoes. She's still heading to New York end of August. A chance to dance with the American Ballet Company doesn't come along every day. She's grabbing it, and she swears she'll be principal before she's 20. Deke's his father's son, quiet, clever, and happiest when he's out on the water. Sweetie, do you want a snack? No. He reached out, laid a hand over his keeps going. Okay, then Philip remains the business marketing and prominent promotion guru. I don't think any of us, including Phil, even thought he'd leave the ad firm in Baltimore, give up urban life and dig down and say Chris. But it's been, what, 14 years so I don't suppose we can call it a whim. Of course, he and Sibyl keep the apartment in New York. She's working on a new book. <laughs> yeah, it's all to her. He rubbed the dog's head with his foot. Something about the, evo the evolution of community and cyberspace. She's something. How are the kids? Insane, as any self-respecting teenager should be. Bram was madly in love with a girl named Chloe last week. That could be over by now. Fiona's interests are torn between boys and shopping, but, well, she's 14, so that's natural. 14, Jesus. She had her 10th birthday when I left for Europe. Even seeing them on and off over the last few years, it doesn't seem... Doesn't seem possible that Kevin's driving in OBS building boats, Bram sniffing around after girls. I remember he cut himself off. She was like, What? I remember when Grace was pregnant with Emily. It was the first time I was around someone who was having a baby. Well, someone who wanted to. It seems like five minutes ago, and now Emily's going to New York. How can 18 years go by, Anna, and you not look any older? Oh, I've missed you. She left. Excuse me, I miss you too. All of you. We'll fix that. We'll round everybody up and have a big, noisy Quinn welcome home on Sunday. How does that sound? About as perfect as it gets. The dog yipped, then scrambled out from under the table to run toward the front door. Cameron, answered, go on out and beat him. He walked through the house as he had so often, opened the screen door as he had so often, and looked at the man standing on the front lawn playing tug-of-war with the dog over a hunk of rope. He was still tall, still built like a sprinter. There were glints of silver in his hair now. He had the sleeves of his work shirt rolled up to the elbows, and his jeans were white as the stress points. He wore sunglasses and badly beaten nikers. At 50, Cameron Quinn still looked like a badass. In lieu of greeting, Seth let the screen door slam behind him. Cameron glanced over. The only sign of surprise was his fingers sliding off the rope. A thousand words passed between them without a sound, a million feelings and countless memories. Saying nothing, Seth came down the steps to Cameron, crossed the lawn, then stood there, face to face. I hope that piece of shit in the driveway is a rental. Cameron began. <laughs> yeah, it is. Best I could do on short notice. Figured I'd turn it in tomorrow, then use the better for a while. Cameron smiled with sharp display in your dreams, pal, in your wildest dreams. No point in it sitting there going to waste. Least of a one to let some half-assed painter with delusions of grandeur behind its classic wheels. Hey, you're the one who taught me to drive. Try to. A 90-year-old woman with a broken arm could handle a five-speed better than you. He jerked his head towards Seth's rental. That embarrassment in my driveway does inspire the confidence in me that you've improved in that area. Smug now, Seth rocked back on Just drove a Maserati a couple months ago. Cam's eyebrows winged up. Get out of here. 
<laughs> had her up to 110, scared the living shit out of me. Cam left, gave Seth an affectionate punch on the arm, and he said, son of a bitch, son of a bitch. He said again as he dragged Seth into a fear show. Why the hell didn't you let us know you were coming home? It was sort of spur of the moment. I wanted to be here. I just needed to be here. Okay. Anna burning up the phone lines, letting everybody know we're serving fatty calf. Probably. She said we'll have the calf on Sunday. That'll work. You just had a win yet? No, I gotta get stuff in the car. Don't call that butt ugly thing a car. Let's get your gear. Cam. Seth reached out, touching Cam's arm. I want to come home. Not just for a few days or a couple of weeks. I want to stay. Can I stay? Cam drew off his sunglasses in his eyes. Smoke gray. Mid says, what's the hell the matter with you that you think you have to ask? You're trying to piss me off. I never had to try. Nobody does with you. Anyway, I'll pull my weight. You always pulled your weight, and we miss seeing your ugly face around here. <laughs> and that set thought as they walked to the car was all the welcome he needed from Cameron Quinn. Cameron Quinn. They kept his room. It had changed over the years. Different paint for the walls, a new rug for the floor, but the bed was the same. One he slept in, dreamed in, waked in. Same bed he sneaked foolish into when he'd been a child. And the one he sneaked Alice Alpert into when he thought he was a man. Figure Cam knew about foolish and had often wondered if he'd known about Alice. He tossed his suitcase carelessly on the bed and laid his battered paint kit once a build given him for his 11th birthday on the work table Ethan had built. He needed to find a studio space, he thought. Eventually, as long as the weather held, he could work outdoors. He preferred that anyway, but he'd need somewhere to store his canvases, his equipment. Maybe there was room in the old barn of a boatyard, but that wouldn't suit on a permanent basis. And he meant to make this permanent. He'd had enough of traveling for now, enough of living among strangers to last him a lifetime. He needed to go to stand on his own. He needed to learn. And God, he needed to paint. So he studied in Florence and worked in Paris. He wandered the hills of Ireland and Scotland and had stood on the cliffs in Cornwall. He lived cheap and rough most of the time when there'd been a choice between buying a meal or paint. He got hungry. He'd been hungry before. It had done him good, he hoped, to remember what it was like not to have something making sure you were fed someone making sure you were fed and safe and warm it was the quinn in him he supposed that made him hell bent to beat his own path he laid out a sketch pad but after put away his charcoal his pencils he would spend time getting back to basics with his work before he picked up a brush again the walls of his room held some of his earlier drawings cam had taught him how to make the frames on an old mirror box at the boat yard set took one from the wall to study it it showed promise, he thought, in the rough, undisciplined lines. But much, much more, it showed the promise of a life. Caught them, uh, caught them well enough, he decided. Cam, with his thumbs tucked in his pockets, stands confrontational. Then Philip, slick, edgy, toward an elegance that nearly disguised the street smarts. Ethan, patient, steady as a redwood, in his work clothes. He jarred himself with him. Set the ten, he thought. Then, narrow shoulders and big feet with a lift to his chin that makes mass something more painful than fear. Something that was hope. A life moment, said thought now. Captured with a graphite pencil. Drawing it, he began to believe in the gut belief that he was one of them. A Quinn. You mess with one Quinn, he muttered as he hung the drawing on the wall again. You mess with them all. He turned and glanced at the suitcases, wondering if he could sweet talk and end up packing them for him. Not a chance. Hey! 
He looked toward the doorway and brightened when he saw Kevin. If he had to fiddle with clothes, at least he'd have come. There you go. So you really hanging this time for good? Looks like. Cool. Kevin sauteed in, plopped on the bed, and propped his feet on one of the suitcases. Mom's really jazzed about it. Around here, if Mom's happy, everybody's happy. She could be soft enough to let me use her car this weekend. Glad I could help. He shoved Kevin's feet off the suitcase and unzipped it. He had the look of his mother set. That dark, curly hair, big Italian eyes. Seth imagined the girls were already tumbling for him like bowling pins. How's the play? It rocks. Totally rocks. West Side Story. I'm Tony. When you're a jet man, you stay a jet. Said don't church haphazardly in a drawer. You, you get killed, right? Yeah. Kevin clutched his heart, shuddered with his face filled with pain and rapture and something. It's great. Before I do the death thing, we've got this kick-ass fight scene. Show's next week. You're gonna come, right? Front row center, pal. Check out Lisa Maxton. She plays Maria. Total babe. We've got a couple of love scenes together. We've been doing a lot of practice. And he got it and winked. Anything for art. Yeah. Kevin screwed up a little. Okay. So tell me about all the Euro, Euro chicks. Pretty hot, huh? <laughs> the only way to get burned there was this girl in Rome, Anna Teresa. A two-named girl. Kevin shook his fingers as if he gotten them too close to a flame. Two-named girls are very sexy. Tell me. <sighs> she worked in this little churchillo. And the way she served pasta, Ellen Pomerio, was just amazing. So, did you score? Says that Kevin a pit pine from look, please. Who are you talking to here? He dumped jeans into another tour. She had hair all the way down to her ass. And a very fine ass it was. Eyes like melting chocolate and a mouth that wouldn't quit. Did you draw her naked? I did, about a dozen figure studies. She was a natural. Total relaxed, completely uninhibited. Man, you're killing me! <laughs> And she had the most amazing sense. Paused his hands up to chest level to demonstrate personality. He said, chop his hands. Hi, Anna. Discussing art, she said dryly. So nice of you to share some of your cultural experiences with Kevin. Um, well, the killing smile she was aiming in his direction had always made Seth's tongue wither. So trying to use it, fell back on an innocent grin. But tonight's ses session on art and culture is now over. Kevin, I believe you have homework. Right, I'll get right to it. See this history assignment has an escape. Hatch <laughs> Kevin bolted. Anna stepped into the room. Do you think, she asked Seth pleasantly, that the young woman in question would appreciate being wilted down to a pair of breasts? Uh, I'll, I also mentioned her eyes. <laughs> they were nearly as fabulous as yours. Anna took her shirt out of the open door, folded it neatly. Do you think that's going to work with me? No, begging my, please don't hurt me. I just got home. She took out another shirt and folded it. Kevin's 16, and I'm perfectly aware his major interest at this time is naked breasts and his fever desire to get his hands on as many as possible. Seth, Jay, Santa. I am also aware, she continued without breaking stride, that this predilection, while hopefully become more civilized and controlled, remains deep-seated in the male species throughout its natural life. Hey, you want to see some of my landscape sketches from Tuscany? I am surrounded by you. Sorry, a little. She took out yet another shirt. Outnumbered and half since I walked into this house. That doesn't mean I can't knock every one of your stupid heads together when necessary. Understood. Yes, ma'am. Good. Show me your landscapes. Later, when the house was quiet and the moon rode over the water, she found Cam on the back porch. She stepped out and into him. He wrapped an arm around her, rubbing her shoulder against the nice shield. Settle everything. Settle everyone down. 
that's what I do. Chilly tonight. She glanced up at the sky at the ice points of stars. I hope it stays clear for Sunday. Then she simply turned her face in the chest. Oh, Cam. <laughs> I know. He stroked the hand over her hair, rubbing her, his cheek against it. To see him sitting at the kitchen table, watching him wrestle with Jake and that idiot dog. Even here, I'm talking about naked women with Kevin. One-legged woman. She laughed, shook back her hair. She looked at him. No, when you know, it's so good to have him home. I told you he'd come back. Quinn's always come back to the roost. I guess you're right. She kissed him one long, warm, medium lips. Why don't we go upstairs? She slid her hands down, gave his butt a suggestive squeeze. And I'll settle you down, too. End of chapter one.